0: On today's episode, we're going to sit down with an investor who's become a millionaire over the last 10 years through pre-construction condos. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to the True True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto.
0: Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, Andrew LaFleur here truecondos.com if you want to reach me ever you can do that by calling me or texting me 416-371-2333 you can also email me anytime andrew at truecondos.com so as i said in the intro we're going to be talking to a real life investor um great client of mine goes by the name of dave call him dave the investor And Dave, uh, he's a very inspirational dude and just looking forward to sharing his story and his words with you here. We had a great conversation, as we always do when we talk about investing. Dave has become a very successful investor over the last 10 years by investing in pre-construction condos. And so I definitely wanted to bring his story to you. And hopefully in the future, we'll get more uh, real-life stories like this to you, straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, straight from... uh, the, uh, you know, it's good for me to, it's one thing for me to talk about, hey, we've got lots of uh, people who've been very successful at this. It's another thing for you to hear directly from them and hear, you know, what is it that uh, makes them tick and why do they do what they do? And, um, you know, their strategies, their philosophies, their um, their winning ideas that have, have worked for them, what has not worked for them as well. Um, and just what, if you're new to investing as well, it's great to just hear, you know, what helped them. Uh, get over the hump to, to get started in the first place because often that's uh, that's the hardest thing. And if you're a seasoned investor, it's great to just hear from other seasoned investors to, uh, to just, you always can pick up some tips, tricks, nuggets, just new ways of thinking, approaching things, new strategies. Um, it's all about continuous learning in this game of real estate investing. So without further ado, here it is. Please enjoy uh, my interview with Dave, the investor. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Dave good to see you Andrew yeah great to uh, great to have you here I'm um, really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and, and chatting with you today and just sharing your story and and your um, I think what you've done and, and how you think and everything very inspirational I want to get your you know your story your message your life uh, what you've done just out to people so people can hear it um, and I think it's gonna be very inspiring for a lot of people for sure um, and I just we always have a great time chatting real estate and and uh, pre-construction investing of course so that's all we're we're sort of doing here. But why don't you tell 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 us a little bit about yourself. Like um, uh, I know, where, where can we start? I mean, you've you've had a very interesting life. You're involved in a lot of different things uh, <laughs> yeah, from uh, sort of you have got the sort of nine to five day job, yeah. which maybe some people look at you and think that's who you are. Yeah. But you've actually got a lot of other interesting layers to you and your story and stuff. So. I don't know where where should we start. Um, um, do you want to start with your first, you know, foray into real estate, or you want to go before that yeah, in terms yeah. of because there's a lot goes into like your mindset and how you think. I want to I want to pull that out.
1: Absolutely. So that's that's the, where we got to start. I think the mindset. Um, so I think just growing up, I've always been enamored uh, with the idea of real estate, just owning something, right? So I'm not an immigrant, but my parents are. So I think mm-hmm. there's that that mentality, right? You want to own some physical land or a building or what have you. So. Um, I'm also uh, a child of the '80s, so I think during that time, you know, Donald Trump, Robin Leach, these sort of images were. Robin Leach. Yeah, yes. yeah. I'm throwing some. Yeah, we're, I might be dating Life myself. Lifestyles. Yeah. <laughs> lifestyles of the rich and famous. I think uh, I'm the young. I'm the youngest <laughs> in my family, so I always say okay. I kind of grew up quicker. So I. I How my, many siblings, yeah? So I have uh, an older brother and an older sister. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so my sister's eight years older than me, and my brother's four years older than me. So yep. I think. Um, I kind of grew up a bit quicker in the sense of like my my references in the '80s and like just my thinking overall because I've always been around older people so I think that's kind of actually been my been uh, to my benefit um, and yeah just I think I've always been enamored with the city uh, you know I used to watch a lot of. Um, 80s action movies uh, with my brother, and uh, just the idea of like the city, the excitement, you know, that little maybe underbelly of you know, seediness, like the adventure that always sort of appealed to me. So, I always Did you, where'd you grow up? So, I grew up in the suburbs, in Burbs, so I, yeah, yeah. So, I grew, I grew up uh, throughout like different GTA suburbs, okay. and I, my thing always as a kid was, I want to um, live downtown Toronto, I want to be the big city. Nice. So, I always yeah. had that idea in my head, right? So, um, I think that sort of shaped the beginnings of the idea of real estate and owning something. And then I think like later on when I was in high school, uh, I'm gonna hit you up with another reference. Uh, my dad and I used to watch um, the uh, the old Harry Stinson One King West infomercials. Oh yes, yeah, those terrible, terrible Dude, infomercials. We, so, so far,
0: our lives are mirroring each other. Growing up in the suburbs, <laughs> wanting to live downtown. Yeah. And watching infomercials yeah. with Harry Stinson <laughs> yes. in the 90s
1: and, and, and <laughs> on late t- night. Uh, yeah, late night TV. It uh, used to actually be, it's so funny, I remember, it was on channel 21 for me. So that was like yeah. the old, like that was in channels are completely different. Uh, again, we're totally dating ourselves right now. People are going to be like, what are these guys talking about? But I think I used to watch the uh, the old infomercial. And again, that same idea, like you could you could buy a piece of real estate downtown and it could make you money. That was yeah. the other thing. Because at first I had that idea of like, I just want to buy a place and live in it. Like most people, I'm not really thinking about rental. Or yeah. I'm not really thinking about having multiple properties, but I guess Harry.
0: When did you first start thinking about buying real estate? Like when, when I was a when, when can you remember that's a thought in your head? I want to buy something.
1: When when I was a teenager, I, I okay. would, So I used to flip through the old Star, the Toronto Star, the New Homes. Back yeah. then, it was just New Homes. Then right. at, you know, sign of the time. It and was like 40 pages long. Yeah, of just ads, pure ads. Right. <laughs> and, now and, uh, like and now it's like now it's like doesn't a little, even exist, yeah, or it's one page because it's just yeah, online newspapers. And, yeah. and and I think um, I think uh, when I, I I used to flip through that a lot. And um, my parents would see me sometimes and be like, oh, jokingly. They're like, oh, you're, you're trying to go buy a house? Like, I didn't have a job at the time. You know, I was 16, 17, right? And I'm um, like, yeah, yeah, I want to. But I think that's also always been my mindset is people tell me it's were not other people
0: pe- Were other people around you of the same mindset or were you just kind of doing it on your own? I think because i like, Were seen- you following an example of someone else or I- was it just in your head?
1: Later on, I was shaped by a few different things, which we'll which we'll get into. But at the time, I think it was just one of those things of... My parents, I'd always seen them struggle financially. They were, they were more working class people. So like or, or the blue collar were like, you know, you're working, like you might have a great gig at say like a Magna or Bombardier, which my dad did, but then like okay. heavy layoffs with NAFTA and all that. And I'd seen them, you know, make career changes, take pay cuts, do night shift, do all that. And I was always just like, there's got to be an easier way. See, now at the time, everyone was like, oh, you're just lazy. That's, that's
0: If there's one thing I think, I don't know you super well. I'm getting yeah. to know you here. I'm looking forward to it, but. That's one thing I you always go back to. There's got to be an easier way. Yeah, that's how you think. There's got to
1: like be. It. There's got to be an easier way because yeah. I think I think um, I think like working hard is um, that's I've heard someone else say this, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But working hard is kind of like a door prize. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you do something and you fail at it, but you say I really worked really hard at it, that somehow makes you feel better. But I think there's not enough em- emphasis on effortless work, like doing something and making it look so effortless. And working, I know it sounds cliche, but working smart and not hard. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, like, if you could work, 10% is hard, but get 100% more of the result. Like, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's something that always stuck in my mind. So I'd always kind of we, been searching. The, the,
0: we, as a society, we kind of idolize working hard and hard yeah. work. That's has been fetishized, like, right? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to, we almost, uh, we resent people or res- we resent success in someone if it looks easy.
1: If it looks easy, yeah. So, so it's almost like, and, and I think that's where the thing, society, like, you know, s- successful people, even if something did come easy to them, they don't want to say that. So they'll just say, oh, I worked really hard. It's, it's weird. It's, right. so it's got that thing yeah. just keeps coming, whereas like, right. you know, like you and I you and I talk, you know, off, uh, outside of, uh, yeah. you know, real estate and we just be like, we're always exchanging information and stuff and, and it's just like, I don't see that as work. So maybe that's the other thing too. So maybe someone else, they see that as hard work, reading compiling information, storing all this, right? I keep a lot of stuff like I mentioned in my head. Actually, I don't really, I'm not the write it down type of person.
0: Yeah, you have this crazy gift of memory and and, and whenever something comes up, you'll send me this text (laughs) or you'll find something on the internet that I said like 10 years ago. or that some real estate bear like said about me yeah. eight years ago or something, yeah. you'll pull it up and you know, it's just yeah. like, wow.
1: So I've always had that crazy recall. So I did well in school. I was the type of guy I did well in school, like without really trying, but right. then I always was kind of like, this is pointless because eventually you're just doing this so you can get good grades, so you can get to university, get a job, mm-hmm. you know, the whole story. But the funny thing is, uh, that's not how the way the world works now. Like if you're really trying to get ahead, getting it, like what our parents told us about going to school, getting a job and doing all that, doesn't really doesn't really jive anymore. You're not really going to get ahead. Like, you may kind of just subsist in this society, but you're not really going to get ahead. So just just back to the early days for a second. So uh, that, that Harry Stinson informational Release really sort of shaped my perspective. And then later on, uh, throughout university, um, I had uh, listened to, uh, I downloaded I shouldn't say this, I downloaded off of to- off a of Torrent site, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. And that book, uh, and it's funny because, like, yeah. you know, there's a lot to be said about that book now. Like, how much of it was real? How much was it not? You know, it's also been to- said that Kiyosaki... Uh, the author of the book probably made more money from publishing than real estate, so it's almost like he made the money off the books and then became a real estate investor, but, but okay. the book makes it sound the opposite. Right. But I think it's beside the point. There's one key thing that he says in that book, which has resonated with me to this day, which is the rich don't work for money. They work for assets. And the assets are what make you money. And I think tying it all together nowadays, I think we're seeing it more and more, whether it's you own a piece of a business or you own real estate or you have maybe some stocks and bonds. In the end, I think the goal, the, the way to win at life is you need to have your assets earning for you while you sleep. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, then you've essentially won at life, at least in one aspect. You, you won know? at money, at least. Yeah. You might be a terrible person. You might be a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I see, I kind of wanted to walk that back a bit, but I will yeah. say, you know, money, money can't solve all your problems, but it'll solve your money problems. Right, and for yeah. a lot of people, that that is like one of their main problems, right? For sure, and uh, and for certainly, sure. yeah. If you're if you're not trading your time for money, maybe you can improve other aspects of your life, like say your fitness, your relationships, your other things. So I'm I'm a big person. Time is actually currency. Time is the ultimate the ultimate uh, currency that you want, not the, actually the figures, not the money. Mm-hmm. Money is limitless, right? They're just going to print more money, and yeah. So that's another conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Whoa> <laughs> maybe boy. we'll get into that. Oh <laughs> we'll get he into just that said printing <laughs> money, folks. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Um, Tell us, maybe tell us your story. How you bought your, what was your first property yeah. you bought, and, and how did that come so, about? So,
1: so, so back to the back to the the newspaper. You thinking thing. about it
0: since your teenager, yeah.
1: So, still thinking about it. A broke broke student. Uh, a couple other things that sort of shaped how I how I got into my first property. I was renting studios downtown. So I, I went to school downtown Toronto University, mm-hmm. and I'd been renting uh, studios because there's no campus housing, right? So. Yeah, that's, that's your plug for uh, student housing, I guess, right? <laughs> but uh, as we know, there's a, there's a shortage of it across the country. But so I was renting studios. So I, at first, I rented uh, at the Pantages condo, um, Young and Queen yep. kind of area, right? Yep. And I remember I could rent it for 1100 This is around 2006. I could rent it for 1100 a month, or you could buy it for about 165 170 And interest rates, I think, at the time, are around like, I want to say, seven per six to seven percent. And I remember crunching the numbers with my dad, and I was like, Dad, I'm like, we should just buy this. I'm like, Could you buy this? Right. I'm, you know, my dad was like, I mean, I mean, I had student loans. Like, my dad, my parents didn't pay for any of my education. They're like, We can't, we can't buy you a condo. Are you kidding me? But I'm like, Well, you know what, though? If you break down the monthly cost, whether it's mortgage or rent, it's kind of around the same thing, right? And he was like, You know what, son, we can't do it. He goes, I would if I could, but we just can't, right? And again, I think that goes back to the thing of finding another way. There's got to be another way, it has to be done, right? And, and so, you know, I rented there and that was fine. Then the next year I rented at one city hall. So Bay and Dundas area, I think concert built that. Yeah. And, um, um, I rented that a year later for $1,300. So already, I'm already seeing where this market's going and how rents can escalate. And I'm like, okay, now we really should have bought that, that unit at, uh, at Pantages. Mm-hmm. And, um, and at the time I'm, I'm, I'm broke. I am like, I'm like negative how many tens of thousands of dollars in just student debt. So I began to uh, take up, uh, online poker. So I start playing mm. at the time poker was really, really big. Um, and uh, I started playing instantly right out the gate. I lose like $3,000. So now, oh. it's, like, <laughs> so now it's, like, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like I max out my, I got a cash advance on my credit card, I max it out. And now I'm like, now I'm in the hole and I have nothing. And literally, literally I can remember my sister um, who's a professor would come down and teach um, some uh, continuing education classes at, uh, at uh, the school I was going to. And, I would literally bum off her like meals for like the week. So I'd be like, Hey, look, can we go to uh, Starbucks? And I'd get like a sandwich and like a cookie and like, I'd kind of like get my meal. And then I think she kind of <laughs> caught on towards the end. She's like, she goes, Hey, she goes like, you're literally buying like 40, 50 bucks a food at a time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's because I have no money. Right. That's, so that's your calories for the next. That was my cal- yeah. That was they, yeah so, so, li- so li- li- the literal definition of lean years for sure. So, I um but again I still had that idea of like you know I'd love, I'd love to get a place like mm-hmm. because you know I, renting it renting it sucks and 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 what sucks even more is when the, my lease term ends I got to go back to the burbs cuz I think that was the thing that was killing me even more I hated living in the suburbs right and um so I worked uh, I did co-op uh, work terms uh, throughout the summer so wh- what my life would look like is I would I would go to the admissions office in the beginning of the year be have debt from the year before in tuition and then tell them, okay, I'm going to pay it off right now. So can you admit me for this year? I'd beg and plead and they would let me do it. And I would use my co-op work term money to pay. And when my co-op work terms died uh, or they ended rather, um, someone had told me, Hey, you can go pl- apply for EI. So, uh, so I applied for EI and <laughs> again, this is 10 years ago. So I'm, I'm hoping the statute of limitations has, uh, okay. has run out here, but uh, I, I burned through a bunch of EI money and I took the last, 600 no1300. So I was getting like 600 like biweekly or whatever it is. and I bought at the time a 30 inch monitor. Because what I had figured out with poker was you mm. could make money, but it's, it's like a lot of things at life. It's like you got to scale. Mm. So like if you're playing one table at a time, you might make just minimum wage. You might make f- at the time minimum I think it was like nine bucks an hour, right? right? But if you had a big monitor and you played like 16, 20 tables at a time, you can make like $9 an hour per table times 16 tables. Now you're talking like 100 bucks an hour. Now you're talking some real cash, right? If you're good. If you're good, yeah. Right. So I started to turn things around. Uh, I would studied the game. I think I was saying I'm a student of whatever it is I do, whether it's poker or now real estate or what have you. So I, uh, I started to become profitable. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go buy this monitor, and I'm going to grind out the summer while living at one city hall. And I'm going to make some cash. And I tell you what, man, like within months, just... I was literally making tens of thousands of dollars playing poker in this little studio, dinky, 330 square feet. People couldn't even right. believe how small it was. Right. And I was sleeping right. on an air mattress, and I had this big, giant monitor yeah. there. And, you, and, and, and there's just this glowing light emanating from the screen as I'm just clicking, <laughs> frantically clicking away. How many hours a 16. day? So I, I kinda of treated it like a job at first. I'd play like seven, eight hours a day. So I'd play like in three or four hour blocks. Yeah. And and the money was just rolling in. And then so instantly I'm like, Okay, I've got a bankroll now. So I think I think just as an aside, one of the best feelings I ever had was took the I had like thirty K no sap debt, paid it off in one shot. Wow. Thanks for poker money. And I remember, I remember leaving the cashier's office at uh, my, uh, at uh, my school and I saw one of my student friends and they were like, oh, I'm graduating now. I'm like 30, 40 K in debt, whatever. And like, what are you going to do with your OSAP money? And then I remember just telling them like, I paid it off. And they're like, how? And I'm like, i played play poker. And they're like, and I remember this, that look on their face and they're like, what? And I think that's the thing. I've, I'm experiencing the same things in real estate now that I did with poker then, which is that I don't think sometimes people could realize the gains that are being made. And I feel like I'm often having to justify what is possible in this world because I think sometimes people aren't thinking big enough, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I had this chunk of money and I said, I want to go buy a place. So only problem was being a poker player, you cannot get a mortgage. (laughs) It's it's hard, right? And even back then, you know, back then it was actually easier. You could, you could have like non-qualifying income and like things were actually easier back then, but not for a poker player. Right. So I teamed up with my brother, um, which, uh, you know, to anyone that's listening in terms of, um, um, you know, thinking about getting real estate, but you can't. I think teaming up with family is like one of those things. Like, if you've got to do it in the beginning, why not? But mm-hmm. again, as long as your values and everything are aligned, right? Your timelines, your timeframes, right? My brother and I are very close. So I, we're, I, you know, I can, we're like friends, not just brothers, right? So, so he's like, you know what? I've got a job. We can get a mortgage. You could provide the down payment. You know, we'll split the profits 50-50, et cetera, et cetera. So, yep. it's funny. We were looking at. Now, one bedrooms at the time in Toronto downtown were around two hundred fifty grand. Yeah. So we were thinking, okay, he's the bigger brother; he'll take the bedroom. I'll do the sofa okay. bed. Right. <laughs> so we're already planning this out. We're gonna share a bathroom, and then back to that Toronto Star. So this is around two thousand eight, two thousand nine time, and the uh, the landscape in in the world was a lot different. Obviously, with the great financial crash that we had. So, yeah. so I think that's the one time now in recent memory where we've seen Toronto prices actually decline, mm-hmm. and you know they couldn't give away properties uh, pre construction at the time. And so there was a builder at the time that was offering a phenomenal deal. Uh, 0% mortgage, 5% down. It was, it was the deal of the century, Andrew. I don't think we will ever see something like this ever again. And we were working out the numbers, and we were like, to carry this is going to be the same thing as, this, as us buying a one bedroom. And this, was, this condo was a two bedroom plus den with parking, two full baths. So now we went from you know, sharing a bathroom and me sleeping on a sofa to I could have my own room, my own washroom, plus a den to play poker in. So I was like, let's sign me up. And again, just to talk about prices, so this is 2008, or 2009, excuse me, spring when we made the purchase. Two bedroom plus den, two parking, uh, sorry, two two baths, one parking, downtown Toronto, right by Union Station, $391,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just, yeah. That, that, I, I, any, anytime I tell <laughs> it to say- And you only needed 5% down. <laughs> you only needed 5% down. So we essentially secured- And you said yeah, zero, 0%, 0% mortgage, percent for three, mortgage for three, for, yeah, for yeah, three so, years. So we we secured the property for $19,000. And the mortgage, the quote unquote mortgage at zero percent was twelve seventy-eight a month, which all went towards our principal. So at the end of the three years, we got this for three years. At the end of the three years, you now have to go out into the world and get a mortgage. And now this is where the idea of let's get more properties came in. Because when the three years expired, we had now paid off about you know, now the mortgage is around three twenty or the balance. And I go to a bank and they're like, Oh, tell us about your property. I'm like, well, I, I owe the builder three twenty-two now at close. And they're like, oh, but your property is appraised at 485 grand. And, and you know, that's, that's on the lower side because bank appraisals typically kind of, you know, come in a little yeah. lower. And they're like, you have a tremendous amount of equity. And at the time, I didn't even really understand what that was. And then it slowly started to click with me. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm like, so I could now take some equity from this and go buy something else? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, sweet. Sign me up and i think that's where i made that journey i think you got to get that first property you've just got to get in the market that was when the light bulb age.
0: you already yeah. y- you 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 had that instinct you were going for it for many years but it wasn't until you actually did it yes. that the light bulb and yeah. even a- it was a few years after you did it when yeah. when that banker looked at you and said you bought this place for 391 but it's worth 485 yeah and, it, and that's when the yeah. light bulb sort of yeah went and off and said whoa okay now yeah. i because of that decision I made a few years ago yeah. with nineteen thousand dollars, nineteen five, <laughs> I now have a net worth of like a and hundred something fifty yeah. or yeah, hundred and seventy
1: thousand. Yeah, and this and again, you're talking to a guy now. Now at the time, I was still playing poker, so I was making good money. But then, so that was your like full, through those first few years that yes. you were like a full-time yeah. professional so I, poker I, player. I played, essentially? yeah, I played from uh, tw- tw- two thousand eight to about uh, twenty twelve. And uh, then I ended up going back to school to pursue you know, regular life. Uh, the, uh, the US government had ended up uh, cracking down on online poker, so that really put a damper on traffic online. So I, I decided, okay, I'll go back to school um, didn't really like what I was doing there, um, so then I, I kind of was just floating through life for about a year and a bit, mm-hmm. and my wife was just like, you know what, like, while you figure your stuff out, just get a job, do something, you know, have some income coming in, mm-hmm. and uh, so, I, so I did that, and that's, that's where I'm at now. Where, you know, I've, got the, I've got the typical government job, so to speak, just a sort of, you know, middling level position, but I think that's the thing, though, is since that time, I've purchased more properties, and I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit more, and mm-hmm. just this massive, as we like to say, ocean of equity yeah. that's been gained from all these properties, you know, I've essentially become a millionaire in five years, not including my principal residence, obviously, because that's obviously gone up a lot as well. And it's all thanks to investing in pre-construction. So I think, you know, it's good luck trying to save 100 and something grand. You know, even, even if you make, I think that's the thing, I, own, I know a lot of doctors and lawyers and people right. that make very large six-figure salaries, and even they will be hard-pressed to save, you know, 30 grand or 50 grand, much less six figures because... Uh, lifestyle inflation right
0: yeah exactly yeah, yeah. we talk about it on the podcast all the time Is just yeah. you, you most people regardless of your income are just living what i call subsistence living yes. like you're going back to our ancestors 400 500 000 years ago yeah where most people were just farmers agrarian living just you're just making enough for yourself to live yeah and there's no refrigeration there's no storing for the future yeah uh, you're just hoping to make it to age 50, kind of thing, yeah. and, and then you kick the bucket. Yeah, That's yeah, your yeah. life. Yeah. So, as much as we've progressed over the centuries, uh, our mindset, I think, is still stuck in the past. In that, oh, look at us now! We're so fancy. We make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. You can make a million bucks and still be broke. Yes, absolutely. Because you're you just your lifestyle just elevates with your income. Yep. And you just are consuming more and more. Yeah you're throwing more and more money at, at stupid cars and and other yeah. things that, that you're not own. assets yep yeah. that you don't own they actually own you that's right and uh, again it, it, how much you make is, is completely irrelevant to yeah. how much you're you're worth and how long you yeah. are gonna yeah. have to work
1: and and, and the <laughs> other thing is and do those assets continue to earn and do they compound mm-hmm. because I think that's the thing you know that now now I'm at a point where Forget, and, and you know, like appreciation is one thing. You know, we've had these crazy double digit years. The last year, we've years. had a great run, we had a great run. Yeah. But even, you know, you ju- let's just take a modest 3% appreciation of all the properties I have. You know, you compound 3% a year, that's way more than what I make in my day job. And, and the best part is, we haven't even talked mortgage pay down. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, that's actually the thing with real estate. I think the number one thing is. Um, you know, in the past, a lot of investors will say it's about the cash flow, it's about the cash flow, and, and you know, you and, yeah. I, you and I have ideas about cash flow, and, that. and so, to be honest, it is a bit overrated, I would say, mm. um, but you can, what's not overrated is mortgage pay down at these bottom, bargain basement, bottom prices, or rates, right, rates. Or I should say, Yeah. right? I mean, you're, you're attacking a lot of your principal on 20% down, especially when someone else is paying for it, mm-hmm. i.e. your tenant, right?
0: yeah it's an incredible moment of history here with these rates that we're we're yeah. in, and it's a lot of people don't just don't realize the opportunity just that's created because of low rates again yeah f- ten fifteen years ago, people would have laughed in your face if if they yeah. said the interest rates are going to be you know between two and a half and three and a half percent for like a decade straight,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I know a lot of people that are in the financial world, and it's so funny, man. We started this year off with, "Hey, rates are going up. What are you gonna do?" And right. there's a little bit of, like of that, you know. They're they're throwing shade, and they're like, "Hey, what 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 are you gonna do, real estate investor?" Yeah, uh, real estate ra- guy. Yeah, ra- rates are going up, and and the funny thing is, I I I told them like, "You guys actually really think rates are going up, huh?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, the Fed said it's happening, and you know, Canada follows suit with the U.S. And I said, I said, you know what? I'm like, if you look at the way the world works, I'm like, I don't even think they. They could raise rates if they wanted to and 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 these guys wanted to laugh me out of the room and that was in january and we're recording this now in the summer of 2019 and <laughs> rates have been cut around and the world
0: yeah people are cutting like crazy cutting like crazy they're, they're, it's a race to the bottom at this point everybody's trying to get their currency lower yeah. than the other guy yeah donald trump is literally on twitter almost every day yeah. shouting at the fed to get rates lower to the dollars too high
1: yeah Uh um, and and, and 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 the IMF has blogged about um, negative interest rates and how that could Some work. countries have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just saw a
0: headline yesterday. It was Denmark has 0% mortgages yeah. now. 20-year mortgages, 0%. Yeah. I'm yeah. moving to Denmark. Yeah.
1: I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. some Danishes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, where do you see where do you like how have your and how have your investments evolved over time have they evolved or is your philosophy really still the same like what what are you and you're, you you know you've been active over the years you've 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 i don't know if you want to get into other properties you bought specifically and how yeah, they've done should. you've had a lot of great success stories yeah. along the way other than just the first one
1: yeah
0: um but how like how have you sort of evolved as a as a real estate investor over the last you know decade and then where do you where do you go from here? Like, where do you? What's right. your What's your projections moving at? What's your What's your thinking? What's your strategy moving Moving ahead?
1: For sure. So, so I think when we started, I think uh, you gave uh, Sage advice uh, back in the day, and you talked about um, buying the smallest unit of a given type um, uh, across the board. So, really, yep. whether that's a one bed or a one bed and two bed, um, I think that has been um, a super profitable strategy over the years. Uh, because, and again, for the, for the, those who, who don't understand why that's important, uh, the, just the whole idea that, you know, when you're buying a, a two-bedroom that's smaller than, you know, say you buy a 700-square-foot two-bedroom versus an 800-square-foot one, you know, the rent on the 700-square-foot uh, one really won't be that much less than the $800 one, but 800-square-foot uh, one, but the problem is, there will be a price difference, a substantial one. And yes, even at these low rates, um, you know, they may not they may not be that big of a concern. But ultimately, um, you know, you do want to at least uh, have your have your, your, asset at least cash flowing or at least be cash neutral. You know, you don't want to necessarily having to be bleeding money um, month to month. So at the time, that was the strategy. And specifically, the strategy was get the smaller units, get the studios, the smaller one beds. And again, the units that you s- used to live in. Yeah, the <laughs> units that you used to live in. Yeah. So I, and, and I think that's the thing. That so, you, that you yeah. saw
0: even in those early days when you were renting them. And, and you said should just be buying this thing
1: yeah and I think and I think the thing that I realized is like you know you can you can buy these it for like in the low 200s and you can rent them at the time when I were buying them for like fifteen sixteen hundred dollars a month and now you know that you know students can touch you know two thousand dollars a foot if I'm not mistaken at the current market rate so so um, yeah that was the strategy then and it's, it's been very well. Um, now it's interesting. I'm actually kind of going the opposite way. So I'm mm-hmm. looking at the bigger units. And I think a lot has changed in my life in the last few years. I'm a father now. I got married a few, few years prior before that. And I'm noticing the sheer amount of people that are wanting to live downtown, um, but they yeah. don't, don't necessarily have a means to do so because there aren't as many three bedroom condos available. Um, and it's it's always been a touchy subject in Toronto because it's like it's kind of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Mm-hmm. You know, builders don't necessarily want to buy the b- make those units because investors typically don't flock there. But then on the other hand, the end user is looking for that type of unit, and if it's not being made in pre-construction, then it's hard to find, right? So I don't really know um, if there's a solution to that, but I do know that the select units that I do see from time to time, I do feel that there is some value there, and I think the other thing that we we're going to start to see more and more is people live in this sort of subsistence economy where they're just getting by is the prevalence of co-living. Mm-hmm. And you and I have been talking about that a lot. We're co- and co-living is where you're re- you're, you're renting out a three-bedroom condo to three different tenants and they're sharing the common area, the living and the kitchen and the, b- and the bathrooms. And I think that's going to really explode in Toronto, especially as it becomes a tech hub, which it's becoming a... I don't know if you saw, but uh, Jack Dorsey, the uh, CEO of Twitter, uh, he was in town recently and uh, you know yeah, he just tweeted week, yesterday. Right? Yeah. He actually tweeted yesterday. He said... Uh, he said, the more and more I visit Toronto, the more and more I love it. And so th- so thanks, Jack, for doing your part to uh, <laughs> to get the word out. And, and I think, Andrew, that's the thing. I think yeah. long, like from the macro level, like you and I see where Toronto's going, and we know that like the best is actually yet to come. Yep. Um, affordability-wise, I don't know about that, unfortunately. I think, unfortunately, no. it's going to... Well, and I think that's the thing, though. I always tell some to people, Toronto's always at the top of these best places to live, lists but right. the thing is it's going to cost it's, you it's always it's for for years it's yeah. been the
0: best place to live and yeah. also cheapest place of the world to cities own. yeah like yeah. yeah you know 50 years yeah. we're going to look back and say hmm why did prices get so freaking high in toronto well it yeah. wasn't rocket science like we were best place to live and cheapest place to live for yeah. like 20 years in a row yeah eventually people caught on everyone came here the, c- yeah. the city's population exploded um we couldn't keep up with supply
1: yeah And yeah, yeah, just just even more about just general strategy with investments. I think the thing with pre-construction is, you know, um, it allows you to, you know, use smaller deposits at times to to sort of get a foothold, Um, you know, you're paying basically for you're securing the unit tomorrow, but like at today's prices. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, I think that's that's a big reason why I think pre-construction still has legs. When I started the year, I kind of thought, you know, I think uh, the writing's on the wall. And, and the Golden Goose has been killed, and it's been a, been a hell right. of a run. But as I look at things more, as I'm taking a step back, and, and just looking at the bigger picture, um, I think Toronto uh, still has legs in terms of pre-construction investment. I was actually starting to start to look outside now. I was looking at the Hamilton's right. and the Ottawa's, yep. and I've actually put a hold on that, because I do feel that there is, we're at a moment in time where we can actually still make some incredible gains. Um, and just as an aside, I think my, my strategy is always, when I put down um, money for a deposit, you know whether it's 5 10 20% I'm always looking to at least double that deposit in time. I always say I'm putting down 10%, the market will give me the other 10. Um now, you know, someone can look at that and say, "Well, that kind of sounds kind of risky. You're speculating." But I don't know, are we? Because let's look at the last you know, 15 years even of pre-construction. Let's look at all those condos that were sold, you know, in the early 2000s to now. Yeah. And the amount of gains you can make. And I tell you, I, I, I go, I talk to banks, I, I'm looking, you know, at mortgages. I talk to different people. And it's crazy, man. They they don't believe the gains I've made and until I literally have to write it out and show them. I'll say, look, this is what I put down. This is what it's worth now. This is my equity. And they'll be like, wow, that's crazy. So I think um, I think the bigger units there's there is definitely opportunity there, the three bedroom units. But um. The only thing is because it's become prohibitively expensive, I think now if you're trying to get into the market, you may need to partner up because it's very hard obviously to buy some of these some of these bigger condos. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's sort of my my two cents in terms of I think where we're going. Um and, and it's interesting. I had no intention to buy anything this year. Right. And yet I found two <laughs> I found two can't miss opportunities, I feel like. Yeah. And again, maybe maybe come maybe you can have me on three years from now when those are ready. Yeah, we can really go into depth and, and talk about how those worked out for me. But I don't think I've been more excited about two projects than the two that I bought in this year. And yeah. like I tell you, the year's not even done, man. So yeah. looking forward to uh to what fall has and, and even twenty twenty and beyond.
0: Well now you're in you're in uh an enviable stage, you know, for a lot of people where you're you're playing with house money is going yeah. back to the poker analogy, right? And and you've got that equity, massive equity uh build up and cushion that you've built over the years that you like you said at the start you didn't work at hard at all yeah. to see all that wealth come yeah. to you. You just made very smart decisions, yeah. uh, and you took action where others did not. Yeah. Uh. And now you've got house money to play with. Yeah. And it snowballs. Yeah. And it grows. Yeah. And a lot of people would just say, "Be content and stop there," and say, "I'm good." Like you said, you, you know, you're you become a millionaire essentially through a few smart decisions over a, a few years. Um. But you're not stopping there, obviously.
1: No, and I think, and I think, and I think that's the thing. I because it goes back to the thing about thinking big, um, that you know, yes, you could stop, but I think the only the only problem is, I like, the world doesn't, right? You know, inflation will just continue to become a thorn in, in the world side, and and uh, population. I mean, we didn't even talk about that. What about the explosive population that's occurring in Toronto right now? Mm. The the hundreds of thousands of people that are coming to our region. And this and the, yeah. the great the greater Golden Horseshoe is becoming a sort of mega region now. Mm-hmm. It already is, really, but yeah. it's, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And it's like it's almost one of those things of you know you're just trying to get a piece of the pie while you still can. I think that's the thing why I, I'm so aggressive still. Maybe even more aggressive now, more than ever, is because I do realize just like with poker, eventually the golden goose can be killed, and there is going to become a time where it will not be financially viable to invest in Toronto anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be on the level of a New York or London where now it's just going to be a place where if you're worth $50 million, you go buy a $3 million apartment in w- fill-in-the-blank city because you can and you want to keep your money there yep. and you need a place to put your money. Um, and I think, yes, eventually Toronto will be at that point, but I think it's re- absolutely remarkable that you know your your average Torontonian can still whether it's through a partner or, or maybe, you know, through other means and maybe tapping into equity they have in their current existing home can get a piece of what I feel is probably the best city in the world to live in. When you really look at the landscape, like across the world, Toronto's probably one of, you could probably count on your hand right now. Where, where are some of the cities you want to be in just with due to geopolitically, politically, economically, whatever you fill in the blank, whatever metric you're using, Toronto has to be there. Except for weather.
0: Yeah. Except for, I mean, that's always <laughs> the knock, right? Yeah. <laughs> knock. Other than yeah. that.
1: Other than that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We talk off the record a lot about, uh, you know, the the bear, the real estate bears, as we call them, the naysayers, people who are, you know, just the sky is falling. It's all going to come crashing down. And we've heard those things. You've heard those things, you know, for years and years and years. Um, And you, you have those like when you have those conversations with. Let's let's bring it to a personal level. Like when you have those those kind of when you hear those things or you have those conversations with your friends and family, mm-hmm. like what's your message to your friends and family who are down on real estate investing or down on the market or or who are the skies falling types or, or whatever? Like forget about the, the, the people on the Twitter sphere and all that. Yeah. Like they're always gonna be there. Yeah. But maybe on a personal level, like people in your own circle, uh, you know, what what, what what's your message to them or what, what do you
1: what do you you say know, that? I you know I I was bringing it back to I think I think the thing is like, you know, there's there's, there's two things. One is, you know, are you a, do you want to be a lifelong renter type person, right? So I think if you're living in a in a principal residence, I think I think those people are less apt to be um, uh, a, a housing bear because after all, they are in the market. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the people that it's it's funny, man. The narrative has changed so much that this there's a, there's a lot of emphasis now on young people to rent. And you know, right. they're, and they're selling that I'm idea. I'm noticing that. That's yeah, a huge the, the,
0: yeah. uh, ideology movement. I want to yeah, call it yeah. of, of renting is okay, yeah, and, and, and you shouldn't idolize yeah. home ownership. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's the dumbest, most toxic <laughs> idea you can put in people's
1: heads. Yeah, especially in in, in Canada, where you know you're you've got the greatest uh, uh, tax exemption you're ever going to find, which is your principal residence exa- exemption. So even if you just buy the place you're living in. You know, you've already, you're already going to do yourself a great service, but that idea of, you know, what's going to happen with housing or should I invest or, you know, what's holding you back? You know, I always say, you, you know, um, there's a, there's a multitude of factors you can look at. You know, Toronto obviously has a booming population and, and there's a lot of job growth here. You know, we're, we're doing a podcast right now in the midst of a tremendous, forget condo boom. How about the office boom? you know, we've got, you know, top of like the best companies in the world are setting up shop, expanding offices here. And so, you know, I'm always very bullish on Shimano. So when I start talking in those terms, people, people start to get it. And I think the thing is when people start to really break down, you know, you could buy an asset for X and rent it out for Y and it can carry. And when you factor in that, you know, this much money can be made by paying down the mortgage, your tenant can pay your mortgage down. And the, you know, if the property only goes up with inflation, that, you know, you're gonna seek. You're gonna be getting a double-digit return, which certainly beats putting your money in stocks or anything else that you could possibly put it into. And and I think that's that's the thing. That's the message is that ultimately, if you just look at like where Toronto's going, uh, it's probably been a never better, never been a better time to invest. In my opinion, um, of course, you know, investing ten years ago would have been great, but we can't. We don't have a time machine. We can't go mm-hmm. back. Um, and and yeah, so it just goes back to that. But mindset. that's very interesting, right? And I think that's a common thing with
0: people. Like who are in our shoes in the sense that they've they've been investing for a while is a feeling like actually it's, there has never been a better time to invest in right now. Versus yeah. the people who haven't got off the fence yet, who haven't yeah. got into the market, it's the opposite. They're thinking it's it's a, it's never been a worse time. Yes. The best times are all over. Yeah. But if you're listening to this and that's you, like you need to hear from Dave and, and, and people like Dave who are actually who've done it and have been in the market for
1: yeah.
0: for ten years or, or longer and they're saying no like it's actually better now than ever yeah like it's just yeah. you just have to know yeah what to buy
1: well I think and I think that's the thing and that's where it comes back to dealing with someone like yourself you know just to you know give you a shameless plug but Boom. I think Let's I think it. I think now more than ever <laughs> it's funny I think 10 years ago you could have literally bought anything and you would have been successful you could right. have bought in B areas you could have bought the the crappiest units the, yeah. and you would have been fine you would have made six figure gains on every single property you made right exactly yeah. um, but, uh, but I think now more than ever working with Um, an experienced agent like yourself, you know, someone that's not going to shill every project that comes across their desk, knows and has relationships with builders, specific builders, specific locations. I Mm -hmm. think that matters more now, now more than ever, you know, we've seen condo cancellations, we've seen things happen. And I think now is the time where you really need someone experienced to be working with. And also again, you know, you, uh, you practice what you preach, right? You, you're an investor yourself. You know, uh, we've bought in same locations, sometimes even the same building. Yep. We have both done very well. Yep. and I think that just speaks to um, your level of experience and, and just the trust that we have as your clients. So I think like definitely for the people that are listening to this, like you need to be working with someone that is experienced and that knows the game. And that is also an investor. I think now as I have as I kind of transition into full time condo investor, you know, I only want to work with people, whether it's my realtor, my mortgage broker, my, my accountant, whoever that. Are also real estate investors because you know yeah, like like minded huge. individuals yeah. are going to be the ones that will can help me get now to the the tenth the fifteenth the twentieth yeah. property yeah um, so I think yeah if you're a, if you're more, a more experienced investor listening to this definitely you know your your brain trust your your your, your the team that you're working with uh, I would highly recommend that all of them are investors as well because they're going to start to see the things that you see as well
0: yeah absolutely and it's just yeah there's so many people that you're investors who are working with either mortgage brokers or accountants or lawyers, people like you're working intimately with to help you achieve your goals. And they're not, if they're not aligned with you on your thinking, if they don't have similar goals, you know, sure. They might be able to do the job for you mechanically get it done, but you know, that's, you want to be partnering with, like you said, with people who are aligned with your goals, who are thinking the same way as you're thinking. And that's exactly what I, what I do with, you know, my own team and, and the and the professionals and people that I'm recommending to my clients as well is, look, th- these are people that I trust and because they're doing the same thing as, as me, they're doing the same thing as us. yeah um, They have the same mindset, they have similar goals and ultimately they just, they see the world in a similar way, that, you know, they're optimistic about the market, they're optimistic about Toronto as opposed to, they're pessimistic and, and they're just waiting for the yeah you know for this guy to, to fall kind
1: of thing yeah and you know the problem with the with the people that are waiting to <coughs> for prices to fall you know prices will fall at some point i'm sure you know we think can, things cannot go up up and up forever but i guarantee you when the prices do fall if there's any sort of correction whether it's 5 10 15% those people that have said oh i'm waiting on the sidelines for my point to buy they'll never buy and i think that's i think that's the thing i've realized as well is that you know again it sounds cliche but you know time in the market will always beat timing the market you know, I bought my first property when I'm 26, yep. and 10 years later, you know, my net worth is well over a million dollars. And I talk to millennials all the time now that are 26, 27 years old. And I tell them, like, guys, you know, if you just get that one property now while you're, you know, while you're still young, you, you know, you'll, you'll probably end up doing better there monetarily than you will in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you're going to become, you know, a surgeon or you're, you know, you're going to become the next Elon Musk or something. But, but even, if, that, even if you are a surgeon, yeah. like we talked about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It
0: doesn't mean any. it doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. a smart real estate investor over yeah. a, a 25 year period making 50K is gonna, I, I put my money on that person yeah. rather than the, the surgeon who yeah. is buying a Ferrari every six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, different Ferrari every six yeah. months, right? No, for sure. Yeah. Um, any, like thinking back to when you first started, I mean, you had a great mindset always, but is there any advice that you would give yourself? like thinking back to Dave, like before he bought you bought that first property, is there any advice you'd give yourself back then
1: that you wish you had heard in those days? I think the thing, Andrew, it goes back to things, just think bigger. Don't stop at mm. one or two. When my brother and I bought, mm. we had that mindset of like we'd like to get another because we understood that concept of, yeah, if you live in one, that's great, but you're not going to really get ahead unless you have one more. Mm. So the whole idea then was let's just get one more. Right. But knowing what I know now, you know, I would tell anybody, like if, like, you know, if you're going to think outside of like what else is in front of you and you want to really aspire to have something more in life. And again, you know, we don't want to get back to that thing of that, you know, um, you know, money is everything or possessions or, you know, you know, you know, I'm not a better person cause I have 10 condos versus one. But I think ultimately just for, uh, in terms of like your sense of security, you know, building some generational wealth, obviously real estate can pay, play a huge role. So I would say, you know, think big, you know, you know, and, 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 and don't put a, don't put a limit on, you know, why I, I was thinking too, initially, Hey, I want to stop at 10, but why even stop there? If I could get 15, 20 more, if it could, if I could do it within my means, why not? So I would definitely say like, I wish, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I wish I had gone even harder than I did hmm. in these last uh, several years because, right. because, because had I did, I think, you know, um, right. you know, things would be even better for me. So, and, and, you know, someone can, someone can say, well, that's easy to say cause it's been hindsight, but I think ultimately um, thinking big and not taking risks or not thinking big not taking risks those are the kind of things that eventually will not help you in any way whatsoever and you know I always like to tell younger people who, who these days it seems like they're more risk averse like now more than ever you know you know, back in the day young people were the type of people that would you know live by the seat of their pants and, and want to do risky things and I always tell them like society rewards risk takers I'm like yeah you may fall flat on your face you may, you may crash and burn right. but when you do hit you will hit big whereas playing it safe Um, I don't know. I don't know any successful person that's played it safe. I know a lot of regular, I know a lot of regular average people that that play it safe. And that's fine. But if you're aspiring to do anything else in this world, than what you're currently doing, you've got to think big and you've you've, you've got to take a little bit of risk and embrace it, right? The road is lumpy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Beautiful. Dave, we'll leave it there. Uh, Great note to end on. Thank you so much for your time today. Love uh, hearing your story, and um, I'm sure we'll get great feedback from this episode. I wouldn't be surprised if we got to get you back on the show again soon for an update.
1: For sure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Thanks for listening
0: to the True Condos podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting
1: truecondos.com.